Welcome to According to the Scriptures, where doing things according to God's Word is of eternal importance to us. My name is Kyle Webb. I'm glad that you are with us today. We continue our study today on how worship can be influenced by things of the outside world. Uh, there are things that can distract us, uh, things that can mold our worship into something that it should not be. In the case of the Corinthians, we see um, a few different things that uh, affected their worship, some of the things that they had done, some of the things that they had brought in and made their worship something that God did not want it to be. And Paul uses his letter to them, the, the letter that we have, 1 Corinthians, to address some of these problems in their worship uh, starting with the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. Uh, we've been studying now through chapter 13, and today we're going to get into chapter 14. And chapter 14 is interesting. It's unique. It's something that we don't take the time to study very often because it mostly involves how spiritual gifts were used in worship. And we know that we do not use spiritual gifts in our worship today. Uh, at least those of us uh, that are members of the Churches of Christ, if you're a member of a denomination, uh, and certainly I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, studying this with us, uh, but there are others that have different ideas about spiritual gifts. But we find in chapter 13 that these things were only for a time. These things were only going to be used for a time. And one of the things that Paul addresses with the Corinthians is that while they find them to be excellent and while they find them to be great in regard to their worship these things were not to remain forever there would be a time when these things would come to an end they would no longer be needed and we find that in the new testament church in its establishment we find that uh since uh, the apostles we we find that after their deaths these things were not passed on and we have no need for them. We have the entire Word of God. We have His will for us in the Bible. And as we study it, we can understand and we can believe. And we have everything that we need in order to believe and to obey. We'll look a little bit more about uh, why these things no longer are among us today while they're no longer a part of our worship today but there are some things that we find in the pattern of worship that paul addresses in first corinthians chapter 14 that i want us to focus in on this may be a couple of, uh, of weeks of study uh, and that's okay if it is uh, but before we actually get into chapter 14 i want to begin by looking at the Godhead because if we don't have a good understanding of the Godhead 
then we really don't have a good understanding of spiritual gifts and how they are used. And as we look at the Godhead, we find that there are three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And each of them have various responsibilities in bringing God's will to us. And I, I want us to take a moment to look at those. Let's start. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of different ways that, that we find these patterns to be uh, of, of how we can describe the three persons of the Godhead and the individual responsibility that they have. First of all, I want us to look at creation. And to do that, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and let's look at verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And, and we can use this verse as evidence that there are multiple persons in the Godhead. In verse 26 of Genesis 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. And over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In the beginning of Genesis 1, we learned that God created, He created the heavens and the earth. There is a, a listing, it begins a list of days and the different things that God created, but there's no one else with God in the context of Genesis chapter 1. And so it's interesting that when we come to verse 26, that God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Why did God not say, let me, or I will now create? He says, let us make man in our image. He's speaking to the other persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And each of these we are told of individually throughout Scripture. Each of these has a responsibility, especially in regard to creation. What is the responsibility of God the Father? He is the designer of the order and extent of of the creation of the world. So God designs, God sets forth what needs to be done. And then we have God the Son, whom we also know as Jesus, the one that was sent to die on a cross for us. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in regard to creation, we find that God the Son played a part. Uh, John 1 is a good instance of this, that, that Jesus was there, the Word was there in the days of creation. And God the Son basically performs the will of God the Father. He is the executor of God's design, the one that executes what God has set forth should be. So we find that Jesus, also known as the Word, God the Son, has the responsibility of executing God's design in just the way that God intended 
for it to be. There are other ways in which we find that Jesus performed the will of the Father, especially in coming to this world and dying on a cross in the way that he did. He came to do the will of his Father who sent him. And in creation, he's doing the very same thing. We find a pattern within God the Son. Then you have God the Spirit. God the Spirit, he is the finisher, the organizer, the beautifier of all things that were created. He's the one that that comes in and, and makes sure that everything is done according to God's will. Each of them has a responsibility, and if each of them is not there to perform that responsibility, does everything get done? Eh, I don't know. But this is the way that we, we are, are understanding this from the Scripture. This is the way that we are taught. God is all-powerful. He can do things any way that He wants to. This is the way that things are accomplished. And it's not just in creation that we find this pattern within the Godhead. Let's look at uh, another way in which we have different responsibilities that are given to each of the persons of the Godhead. Let's look at God's scheme of redemption. God the Father, He is the designer and the institutor of His scheme of redemption for fallen man. Adam and Eve transgressed in the garden, and since that time we have needed something that would bring us back to God, that will bring us back into His presence, that will redeem us unto Him. And so God has set forth, he has designed a plan, a plan of redemption for man to be able to come back to God, to come back into his presence, to come back into a right relationship with him. God the Son, in this scheme of redemption, we find that again he is the executor of God's design. He is the one that puts it into um, to action. He is the one that made this happen, this redemption happen. What did he do? He came to this earth. He died on a cross. He shed his own blood for the sins of mankind so that we could be brought near unto God. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, we could not be redeemed unto God. Then you have God the Spirit, who also has a responsibility in God's scheme of redemption. Because Jesus came, he brought this plan into action, he died on the cross, he offered himself as a sacrifice, and he is ascended into heaven. And in his ascension, before he did that, he prepared his apostles and told them that a comforter would come. John chapters 14 through 16. He prepared them and said that he is going to come. And the Spirit did come. The Spirit in this scheme of redemption is, again, the finisher, the revealer of this scheme to man. Through the Word of God, he reveals to us what God wanted to take place, how Jesus put it into action, and 
what we need to do in order to be redeemed unto God. The Spirit was sent as the great comforter following Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven to guide his disciples in understanding and obedience to the Father's will. Primarily, he does this through the Word, uh, but we find that that the Spirit uh, works within us. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit when we obey the gospel. Acts 2.38, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us in our understanding of God's plan, what he did for us, and what we need to do in relation to that plan in order to be redeemed unto God. So we find a pattern in creation. We find a pattern in the scheme of redemption, a pattern in which we learn what is necessary for us. The things that we need to know about God, about the Son, about what He did for us, this pattern is continual as far as responsibility is concerned. God is always the designer. Jesus is always the executor. And the Spirit is always the finisher. He's the, the last one that comes through, the last chance that we have of understanding and obeying God's Word. Each of them has a necessary responsibility in whatever we may be looking at in creation, the scheme of redemption, or otherwise. Each of these responsibilities is of great importance. Without those three working together, these things would not be accomplished. That is the will of God. That is the way that he set forth for these things to be. Three persons of the Godhead, this Trinity is one. They are acting as one. They have different responsibilities, but yet they are acting as one. Now, where does that bring us in relation to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Why is this important? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we find the Spirit working in these spiritual gifts. We find uh, man able to do things that man would not otherwise be able to accomplish. This is uh, a way for us to recognize God, a way for us to believe. Spiritual gifts, they had a purpose. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. The spiritual gifts that we read of in, I think it started in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, they're mentioned in chapter 13 as well, as we looked at last week. And they're mentioned here, especially in chapter 14, in how they should be regarded in the worship. They had a purpose. The, the gift of speaking in tongues, uh, special knowledge and prophecy, understanding of God's will. Um, anything that was considered uh, miraculous, these are miraculous gifts, these are things that can't be done by man without God's power. And we need to recognize that. Without these miraculous gifts, 
we we wouldn't have the evidence that we did that God existed. Now today we don't need those things. As we read in First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, there was a time for them. Uh, verses eight and nine of First Corinthians chapter thirteen says, "Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail." Can you imagine that something that God set forth, something that God allowed to happen, would one day fail? And it's not that it failed in its purpose and intent, but it's that it fails in its mission. It it is ended in its mission. And maybe fail is not the the best word to be used there, but... um, but there's a time when these things would no longer be necessary, would no longer be used. That was part of God's plan. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. There's a time when God's will will be fully revealed in his word. And that's where we are today. We are in a time period where these miraculous gifts have not been passed on since the days of the apostles. They have ceased to exist with the death of those who performed them. We no longer have the ability to use these spiritual gifts, but we also no longer have a need because God's word has been revealed in its perfection. Everything that we need comes from God. It's it's found in his word. Uh, a good example of this is what is said in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is given to us by the inspiration of God. He has given us everything that we need in order to obey him. Now, the Corinthians, as they looked at these spiritual gifts, they saw them as special, they saw them as important, and and they saw those that could perform them as important as well. They put them uh, as a, a higher standard than they would the average person. So, as they are looking at these spiritual gifts, they they thought that they provided them with greater religion, so to speak, maybe a closer relationship with God. And what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians is that you are are admiring these gifts, but there's going to come a time where these gifts are not that important, where they're not even necessary, where they're not even used. You're holding to these gifts and looking at them as important, but there will be a, there will be a time when they are no longer needed. The purpose of the spiritual gifts has been fulfilled as it pertains to God's word. 
we can believe through the word we can obey we can be brought near to, to god and we can do all of this without having spiritual gifts and without being able to perform special special miracles and so forth to have these spiritual gifts to them thought that they were more blessed but they were never intended to last forever and that's one of the the key things that we have to remember in regard to spiritual gifts now this is going to bring us to uh, a point in our lesson where uh, we're, we're not really going to have time to get into uh, the lesson text of first corinthians chapter 14 so we'll put this off for another week and lord willing we'll we'll really get into uh, a deeper understanding of what is said in chapter 14 and go through the verses and see what they mean to us see the pattern uh in worship that we hold to today uh even though we don't have these spiritual gifts and i look forward to that study and i hope that you'll look forward to being with us again next week lord willing now if you will stick around for just a moment and i'll be back to give you more information about our congregation and about how you may contact us On behalf of myself and the Mars Hill Church of Christ, we thank you for joining us. We hope you will be back with us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. right here on the Gospel Radio Network at tgrn.org. If you would like to contact us, our phone number is 615-203-3637. If you would like to find out more about our congregation, our website is www.marshillcoc.org. Our email address is marshillcoc at gmail.com. And if you would like to contact us the old-fashioned way, our address is 1135 Rucker Road, Christiana, Tennessee, 37037. If you are in our area, we would love to meet you in person. Our service times are 9 a.m. for Bible study and 10 a.m. for worship on Sunday mornings. Thank you again for joining us.
And until we meet again, may God bless you.